It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I'm not a huge soccer fan, but that World Cup finale was amazing. Now, I was at Fox getting ready to do Media Buzz, which, by the way, was just a packed show and very happy with it. And you can get some of the segments online. Um, And I'm watching, and it's a scoreless tie. And then I've got to go on the air. So Fox Broadcast Network is carrying the World Cup, and Fox News is carrying my show. And at different breaks, we would get an update. And so when the show was over, went back to my office, and it was a 2-2 tie between France and Argentina, and the clock was winding down, sending the game into overtime, as you undoubtedly know, as the whole world knows by now. Which, by the way, the way that the World Cup does it is so much fairer than the way the National Football League does it, where you go into a sudden death overtime and, you know, one team may win the coin toss, receive the ball, the other team never gets the ball. You score a, a field goal or a touchdown, and that's it. Here you have the possibility of two 15-minute overtimes, and then if it was still tied after that, it would be decided by penalty kicks anyway. So now I'm watching and see this incredible goal by Argentina, uh, which was not even on the first kick, but it was the follow-up by somebody positioned near the net. So for Messi and the Argentinians just going crazy, you know, the entire world watching. And you know who was there? Who well, I'll get to in a second. Elon Musk sitting next to Jared Kushner at the World Cup finale in Qatar. So that was an amazing, amazing finale. Some of the football games, even if you're not a football fan, just give me a minute here. I mean... You're the Minnesota Vikings, and I did not watch this game, and I wish I had, um, down 33 to nothing to the Indianapolis Colts. Now, I'll be honest. If I'm watching that game on TV, I'm turning it off. 33 to nothing. I mean, it's over. If I'm in the stands, I probably figure it's a good time to leave, beat the traffic. Somehow, the Vikings came back to win the game. Biggest Come back in NFL history. I know there had been 32 points, 31 points, whatever. Um, tying it up on a two-point conversion and then winning it in overtime. Uh, just amazing. Minnesota going crazy. And then I just saw the clips before sitting down at the mic here with the Raiders. Most bizarre and stupid play I've ever seen to end a football game. Uh, going up against the uh, Patriots. And... The score is tied. The Patriots have the ball, and they're trying to, you know, desperately get something on the board. And so they start. Their their forward progress is blocked on the play. It's the last play of the game. And so they start tossing it the football backwards to teammates in an effort to get somebody free who maybe can run down the field. Except in a play that will live in infamy forever, like. Bill Buckner of the Boston Red Sox letting the ball go between uh, his legs at uh, first base. A member of the Patriots tosses the ball, it's like the third toss, I believe, into the hands of one of the Raiders, who then promptly runs in the other direction into the end zone. The game is over. The Raiders win. 
Just amazing. All right. Now, I actually woke up this morning thinking, okay, you know what? Devoted a lot of time to Elon Musk on Media Buzz. I spent a lot of time on the podcast on Elon Musk. Maybe, and I've got to catch up on some of what's been happening with the bannings and the unbannings and so forth. But maybe I just won't make that big a deal of it. And then, hello, Elon Musk, story number one, puts up a Twitter poll. He likes those Twitter polls. The question was, should he step down as the CEO of Twitter? And he loses the poll. 57.5% of more than 17 million people who voted. Think there was a lot of interest in this? Say, yeah, Musk should step down. It closed this morning. And if he goes along with it, which, you know, there was the, he also put it to a poll about reinstating the journalist, which I'll get to. Didn't like the results. Said that was too confusing. Let's do a new poll. But look, Elon Musk didn't get to be either the world's richest man or one of the world's richest men by being an idiot. He does erratic things. He is both a genius and um, somebody who can make outrageous mistakes. But you don't put your future stewardship to a poll unless you're prepared to step down from that position. And in fact, he always said, you know, he's got these other companies to run, right? Tesla, SpaceX, hello? So, unless you're prepared to follow through. And maybe he even did this as a way out. He always had said that he was going to, you know, even though he's been sleeping at the San Francisco office, that he was not going to run Twitter day-to-day indefinitely. So, maybe I should apply to be the CEO of Twitter. I know a lot about social media. How long do you think I'd last? One Scaramucci, a couple of Scaramucci's maybe? Look, whoever is the CEO, whatever loyalist or member of his inner circle, Musk picks, if indeed he follows through, to be the chief executive officer, who's going to ultimately be in charge? It's Musk. This is not a publicly traded company anymore. He owns it. billion worth, although it's not worth that, but that's what he paid. And, you know, he could go through five CEOs over the next year. Who knows? But he kind of was philosophical about it. And look, he's also, I mean, what's driving this is Tesla. Tesla stock went down another 15% last week. And while there may be multiple reasons for that, um, there is a feeling among Tesla investors and perhaps buyers that, you know, he's become a kind of an absentee owner. So the more the Tesla stock goes down, the more his personal net worth goes down. And he ended up saying those who want power are the ones who least deserve it. There was also a tweet about, you know, be careful what you wish for. Meanwhile, there was, I mean, there were like five other flaps going on. Let me see if I can catch you up real quick. So Musk apologized yesterday after Twitter enacted new rules prohibiting users from repeatedly, you could do it once in a while, but if you're repeatedly promoting rival social media networks on the site, 
he said he'll he'll put this to a vote. Now, look, I mean, you know, um, CNN doesn't run a lot of ads, as in zero, for MSNBC or Fox News and vice versa. It's not crazy to say don't use my platform to promote other platforms constantly, but it looks like that's going to be overturned. Meanwhile, most, I guess, of the journalists who were suspended by Musk himself have now been reinstated. And, you know, he used the rationale that some of them were linking to this Elon Jet account, the one that provides the real-time tracking of his private jet. Uh, And that's still suspended. And by the way, you know, I wouldn't want it posted when I'm getting on a plane with my family, and you wouldn't either. And so that's reasonable. He has said that, uh, you know, you could post it on a delayed basis. But the guy who runs it, you know, is enjoying his 15 seconds of fame and doesn't want to do that. But then Musk went ahead and suspended a Business Insider columnist named Lynette Lopez. She has been posting nothing to do with the jet whatsoever. But she's been really tough on him, talking about manufacturing problems at Tesla, etc. So he suspended her as nothing to do with anything except he doesn't like her. Musk wrote, so inspiring to see the newfound love of freedom of speech by the press. In other words, all these media people. And this point was made repeatedly on the show yesterday, uh, you know, who had no problem when the old regime was, you know, shadow banning or blacklisting conservatives and Republicans. Now go crazy over free speech because they were suspended for one day. That's about how long it lasts. But you know what? These suspensions, and there was also one of Taylor Lorenz, the controversial Washington Post tech reporter. She had sent uh, she had sent Musk a couple emails, didn't get a response, then tweeted, uh, hey, uh, do you want to comment on a story we're working on? Then she got suspended. Musk said it was for a prior doxing action. This is a whole complicated thing having to do with when she revealed who was behind the account libs of TikTok. So now it's retroactive. He suspends Taylor Lorenz for something she did that he didn't like before he even owned Twitter. And now she's since been reinstated. Same thing happened with Jim Acosta of CNN. So it just looks like, you know, he's he has this power and he's going boom, 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 don't like these people, and then he brings them back. Taylor Lorenz has now been restored. So, when you get down to it, his own allies are deserting him. Glenn Greenwald has been a big Musk defender. And on my program yesterday, when I asked him about the suspension of journalists, he said, look, uh, this is really troubling. You know, if the new billionaire is using his power to go after people he doesn't like on whims, then I'm going to criticize that as much as I did the old regime. And Barry Weiss, Barry Weiss, independent journalist, who worked with Musk, 
on the Twitter files. And I don't know whether these people got paid, Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi, uh, you know, maybe um, they were paid for their time, which is fine. She wrote, the old regime of Twitter governed by its own whims and biases, and it sure looks like the new regime has the same problem. So in the case of both Glenn Greenwald and Barry Weiss, they stood up for the principles they believe in, even though it meant turning on Musk. And then Musk took on Barry Weiss, saying, you're just virtue signaling to show that you are good in the eyes of media, elite, to keep one foot in both worlds. Another way of looking at it is, she's consistently standing behind the same principle. Now, In a related story, NBC News reporter Ben Collins, a very opinionated guy who covers tech, has been temporarily pulled from covering Elon Musk and Twitter. This was broken by Semaphore. Elon uh, saying that NBC has benched him because uh, he was too opinionated. He continued to tweet his reporting about Twitter even after the network told him to turn it down, tone it down, I should say. For example, Ben Collins wrote of Musk, unless he's trying to tank this place on purpose, I've never seen somebody more out of their depth in my life. Okay. Now, back to that Taylor Loren story with another uh, colleague at the Washington Post. Remember that Elon got particularly concerned, as you would, as I would, as anybody would. When a crazy stalker, at least as he described it, jumped onto the car carrying his two-year-old son and also thinking Elon was inside. So they found the stalker. They interviewed the stalker. The stalker has no link to the Elon jet thing. And so, and the incident took place at a gas station 26 miles from LAX 23 hours after Elon Jet had last located uh, the private jet's whereabouts. So it was nothing to do with the plane tracking. So LAPD has not found any link. The uh, driver of the car has been identified. I'm not going to use his name because who cares, right? And he is an Uber Eats driver who had rented the car, confirmed he was the person in Musk's video, shared his own videos of the incident with the reporters. He told the reporters he acknowledged he has an interest in Musk and the mother of Musk's, of two of Musk's children. That is the musician Grimes, whose real name is Claire Elise Boucher. But I'll just call her Grimes. So Grimes lives near the gas station where this is said to have happened. The driver's most disturbing comments, because obviously he's a little cuckoo for coconuts. <laughs> what is that? Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, excuse me. Former big Cocoa Puffs fan. Um, believed that Grimes was sending him coded messages through her Instagram post that Musk was monitoring his real-time location and that Musk could control Uber Eats to block him from receiving delivery orders. Okay, does that kind of sum it up? Really quite amazing. So, having brought you up to date with just about all things Elon, 
Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This is Jimmy Fallon inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Let's move on to number two. Politico has the scoop. Everybody's got it now. The final meeting this afternoon of the House January 6th committee. And when Politico originally reported, and this will come as a surprise to basically absolutely nobody, <laughs> because if you watched any of the hearings and you look at the makeup of the committee, all Democrats plus two anti-Trump Republicans, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, it's going to vote today on referring to the Justice Department at least three criminal charges against Donald Trump. Those are insurrection, which I guess is the biggest one of all, if you regard the Capitol riot as an insurrection and Donald Trump is criminally liable for fomenting that insurrection. Fomenting is a word that we don't usually use except for things like a riot. Um, That's number one. Number two, obstruction of an official proceeding. Number three, conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government. Now, will there be more? I don't know. Will other people be referred for criminal charges? I don't know. Um, the report makes a reference to, you know, this this committee just leaks everything. So by the time they do it, it's kind of anticlimactic, except they all get to give a bunch of speeches. Um, a judge's ruling back in February that Trump's language plausibly incited violence on January 6th. Uh, also points to the uh, impeachment trial and so forth. And so Trump's spokesperson says the January 6th Unselect Committee held show trials by never-Trump partisans who are a stain on this country's history. This kangaroo court has been nothing more than a Hollywood executive's vanity documentary project that insults Americans' intelligence and makes a mockery of our democracy. Now, let me just say, These referrals are irrelevant. They are actually beyond irrelevant. Except that maybe it makes it easier for the committee to turn over all its records to DOJ. And there are times when a congressional committee discovers something new through investigation, makes a referral to justice, and justice was like, oh, this is interesting, we didn't know about this, where a referral can actually mean something. Remember, DOJ is complete and total discretion to act on the referral or not act on the referral. This is pure symbolism. That's what this is. But the Justice Department is investigating the hell out of Donald Trump, as I have noted. You got the special counsel now, you know, subpoenaing local officials, and it's, I think it's now up to a half dozen states. You've got the January 6th probe. You've got the top-secret documents at Mar-a-Lago probe. What is justice not doing that will suddenly, the, the officials there, the special counsel, or Merrick Carl himself, will slap their foreheads and says, oh, you know, hadn't thought of that. Thank you, House January 6th committee. It's pure politics. It's pure symbolism. And it'll nevertheless get nonstop coverage. And that's the goal, I guess. All right, number three. Pete Wenner 
a longtime conservative writer who's also been hugely critical of Donald Trump since Donald Trump got into politics. Has a piece in The Atlantic. You know, I try to bring you things that make points that I haven't thought of before, maybe you haven't thought of before, and this, I think, is falls in that category. You know, he starts by, out by saying, welcome to the insurrection. Took a half dozen years, but he says large parts of the Republican establishment, elected Republicans, wealthy donors, the Murdoch media empire, which, by the way, doesn't speak with one voice. Many people there with different opinions, but does include Fox and Wall Street Journal and New York Post, right-wing websites, radio people, have finally turned on Donald Trump. So when he writes, the GOP establishment is angry at Trump, over the Kanye and Nick Fuentes dinner, uh, for embracing QAnon, for advocating the suspension of the Constitution, for trashing the Supreme Court, for promising to look very, very favorably at pardoning the January 6th insurrectionists. And again, I'm just sharing this with you. This is a guy who despises Donald Trump. But mostly, he says they are angry at Trump for costing them seats in the House and control of the Senate. I think that's beyond dispute. Midterm election was the third straight election cycle in which Republicans under Trump's leadership and in his shadow suffered setbacks. In other words, he's finally gotten their attention. He keeps contributing to losing elections. 2018, 2020, and now 2022. So, says Pete, how should those of us who for years have repeatedly warned Republicans about Trump view those who have finally done it about face? Well, first he says we ought to welcome their turnabout. This is, after all, what many of us have been urging them to do. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone should have the chance to correct those mistakes, including one-time Trump enthusiasts. Just as important, purging Trump from America's political landscape can only happen if the Republican Party first purges him from its ranks. If people who once supported Trump are at last willing to cast him aside, that is all to the good. Now, you know a but is coming, and here it is. But we shouldn't see a moral awakening when there is none. The reason many longtime Trump supporters are deserting him is because they believe he is a loser and an impediment to their quest to power. They are tossing Trump overboard because he's no longer useful to them. Their considerations are practical rather than principled. And precisely because the shift is for unprincipled reasons, we should assume that if they calculate that Trump can win again, certainly if he's the Republican nominee in 24, they will again rally around him. And he goes on to say they're engaging in a series of rationalizations to explain why they enabled and championed this loathsome figure for so long. Now, let me just jump in here. It's interesting because people who turned on Trump early, like Anthony Scaramucci, at the time, it was like, oh, you know, you totally supported this guy. You worked for him for 11 days. Uh, how can you turn on him? But now nobody remembers that. He got out early enough that nobody remembers, you know, that he originally was a big Donald Trump supporter. And then you have the people who worked for the Trump administration who either quit or got pushed out or some combination thereof. John Bolton, Bill Barr. The list goes on and on and on who became, you know, Mick Mulvaney, who became very critical of the former president. Now, as Winter puts it, just to wrap this up, some uh, have simply chosen to forget their role in Trump's rise, 
Some are eager to portray themselves as having been far more critical of Trump than they actually were, particularly those who now are on MSNBC shows or The View, you know, work for the guy for four years. Okay, January 6th comes. Oh, uh, you know, I'm out of here, which, which, you know, there were principled resignations after the Capitol riot, but doesn't sort of wipe the slate completely clean. Um, Some prefer to turn the tables and go on the offensive, chiding longtime critics of Trump for not forgiving and forgetting. Others are peddling a narrative in which Trump only now is spinning out of control. Something has snapped. Who could possibly have seen this coming? Anyway, he basically says this is a natural desire to escape moral accountability, protect their reputation, not admit their mistakes. And he says this isn't like being wrong on, you know, whether a tariff is going to hurt consumers. This is a catastrophic misjudgment. And I bet he felt better for getting that off his chest. Story number four, Carrie Lake, who ran, as you know, as you may know, for governor of Arizona. Looked like she was going to win. She didn't win. She lost by about 17,000 votes to Democrat Katie Hobbs, who didn't, wouldn't even debate her. So this is the former uh, Phoenix TV anchor. And, you know, the new governor is going to be sworn in soon. So here's somebody who has not turned on Donald Trump, who is all in, who is double down, triple down, quadruple down, and possibly even quintuple down. She was at Mar-a-Lago gave a little speech, and somehow this was leaked to the Republican Accountability Project, which shared it on Twitter. And she's, you know, she's challenging her loss, which, by the way, she has every right to do, but she's also now crying fraud and so forth, in the mold of the guy who still argues that the 2020 election was stolen. And which Carrie Lake completely and totally agreed with. You know, she wasn't one of these people who, once they got the nomination, stopped talking about the stolen election, stopped talking about abortion, and tried to, you know, leave that behind. She, she's just all in on this stuff. Okay, here's what Carrie Lake had to say. Um, we had such a huge movement going into Election Day. So to watch these people, these evil bastards, she said. You know, because she maintains that, you know, a bunch of votes came in and it was just, you know, uh, it was taken away from her when it was entirely predictable. I mean, votes come in from different times of the states. There were problems counting the vote in Arizona, but nothing to indicate that there was election fraud, although we'll see how her challenge turns out. So she calls them evil bastards. She says, can I say that here? Is that all right? To watch them steal this in broad daylight, and if they think they're going to get away with it, they messed with the wrong bitch, okay? Uh, the crowd is reported to have given her a warm reception. So don't mess with that bitch. And that is a word I would ordinarily not use to describe any woman, but I am quoting Carrie Lake herself. You know, in the sense that, you know, it's like, I'm a badass, I'm a bitch. Uh, okay. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. And finally, story number five is this huge uh, profile in the New York Times of uh, relatively new CNN chairman Chris Licht. And it looks like Licht had been cooperating with this for many months since he took over CNN last spring. There isn't any great revelation in the quotes from him, 
but you do get a sense of how difficult uh, the job has been. And here is the opening anecdote, which is pretty good. Um, you may or may not recall that the previous job that Chris Licht has was running Stephen Colbert's show. I mean, this is a guy who helped start Morning Joe. I mean, he's a very talented TV guy, very smart. And he's having a good time. He took Colbert from back in the pack to number one. I mean, Colbert deserves some credit, you know, which basically means Colbert went all in on his hatred of Donald Trump. And when Chris Lick first went to Colbert and said, hey, look, I've been offered this job, and if I want to do it, Colbert said, definitely don't go do that. But for Licht, nothing less than democracy itself was at stake. Okay, you get the idea of the tone of the piece. He argued he could make scene in a news channel that people trusted as opposed to one that monetized partisan combat. Remember, CNN's slogan used to be the most trusted name in news. And then it went totally anti-Trump, or some would say kind of MSNBC light, and it got the sugar high of ratings from people who don't like Donald Trump. Then Donald Trump left office. The ratings tanked as they also declined very sharply at MSNBC. Um, Colbert recalled telling him, oh man, you used to be in news, remember? You said this was so much nicer, 12 weeks off, good pay, laugh for an hour every night, everyone's really nice, you can say anything you want, nobody leaks it, it's great. CNN would be lucky to get you, said Colbert, but you're my friend, and I'm telling you not to go. This is a calling, said Chris Licht. At which point, Colbert gave up, said, I can't negotiate with a calling. So he got the job at the end of February. At least the announcement was made then. Since then, Chris Licht and Stephen Colbert speak almost every Friday. And each time, Colbert begins the conversation by saying... I told you so. <laughs> so uh, the Times says, look, Licht's had a rough start. You know, he was, in, he was about two or three weeks into the job when he killed CNN Plus, fired about 400 people. And here's the key thing. This is the absolute key thing that helps you understand why CNN is in trouble, even though David Zaslav, who is a longtime friend of Licht, who gave him the job, uh, says he's not going to worry about profits or ratings, at least mostly not. Last year, CNN earned one and a quarter billion dollars. This past year, CNN's profits will be about $750 million. I don't care how rich a company you are, that is a lot of dough lost. And, you know, of course, it's a part of a publicly traded uh, company in the wake of the Discovery AT&T merger. And for the first time ever, remember this on election night, the uh, midterms, CNN fell to third place in primetime on election night behind MSNBC. So at the end of November... You know, there was another round of job cuts, just under 10% of CNN's workforce, which is about 4,000, if you were wondering. Remember, the CNN's got bureaus around the world. And they got rid of people, you know, whose names are well-known, like Chris Saliza, 
everybody at HLN, including the morning host Robin Mead. And every, you know, bad thing that happens, of course, you know, now you're getting all the scrutiny and all the criticism from elsewhere in the media. And then, you know, licked, uh, tore up the morning show, moved Don Levin, the ultra-liberal host in primetime. Now he's just a uh, perky guy along with uh, Poppy Harlow and with Caitlin Collins on the morning show. So what Lick says, and this is the best quote in the piece, talking about people who criticize him. The uninformed vitriol, especially from the left, has been stunning. Which proves my point. So much of what passes for news is name-calling, half-truths, and desperation. So people who like CNN as a more liberal channel, who now thinks it's more neutral or however you would choose to describe it, they've been kicking the crap out of Chris Licht. And he says, look, it's been stunning to see what I'm getting from people who call themselves liberals. Anyway, he wasn't originally going to take the job, and then Zaslav talked him into it. They both lived near Central Park. They took a long walk in the park. And Zaslav said to him, look, is your family ready for this? Are you ready for this? Because it'll be brutal. Zaslav also told him, we've been friends for 15 years. We're not friends anymore. You work for me. So what's happening now is there was another one of these town halls. Um, and Licht also says he's, he's not moving to the center, which is, sounds very boring, but rather not telling people what to think, but how to think. Okay. He's not interested in controversy for its own sake. He wants to offer a rational conversation about polarizing issues. People will take what they've heard to the dinner table and have a discussion. That's my dream. Um, so, for example, after uh, when there was a big debate about gun rights, Licht hired a guy who founded the Reload, a firearms website. Licht said, nobody wants a school shooting, but we have to understand the culture of people who like guns. That is not vanilla, centrist, or boring. Yeah, but people who are passionately against guns and who liked CNN the way it was don't like that. The morning show, uh, when it debuted, drew just 387,000 viewers. That is way, way behind the rivals, especially Fox and Friends. And um, since then, it's gained slightly, but not that much. So Lick goes on to say, uh, look, he'd like to, he still needs to find a 9 p.m. primetime host. Uh, he'd love to get Jon Stewart. That's not happening. He'd love to get Colbert. That's not happening. And now you have the prospect of more layoffs. And people at CNN feel blindsided because he said there would be no more cuts. Lick said, look, what I said would there be no more cuts related to the merger. I wouldn't have said something I didn't believe to be true. Well, that's a distinction without a difference if you're worried about losing your job. And Lick says, look, it hurt my credibility. I have to win that credibility back. So Colbert was right, and Zaslav was right. It's brutal. It's a tough job. Might be an impossible job. But that's the first extended look we've had at uh, the views of Mr. Licht. And with that, 
once again, hope you got a chance to see Media Buzz. Hope you had a great weekend, folks. You can check out some of these segments online. Thank you for sharing this time with me. I had so much to cram into that hour yesterday, and here I can just ramble, but I'm done rambling. That's about it. Please subscribe. See you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.